1: this is where scientists philosophers new agers and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading now here's your host lawyer philosopher and the author of the collapse of materialism philip Camella.
0: the title of today's show is the mental universe but on this show we're not going to be approaching this subject from the standpoint of a mystic a medium or a new ager but from the perspective of science and quantum mechanics. Now whatever we call ourselves, or whatever field we find ourselves in, at some point it probably helps to define what reality is, because this is the world we live in. We might as well at some point confront the question, and as science teaches, the best way to understand what the world is made out of is to run experiments on it. In the famous double-slit experiment, which many folks have probably heard about, researchers found that light behaves like a particle, particles like light, and in fact the ultimate substance of the world is really nothing or something that is not describable by our typical terminology. We also know that in the famous Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, Heisenberg established that ultimate reality is really not a thing that can be fixed in time and space and of course there's been hundreds of books on quantum theory all sorts of interpretations but in this show we're gonna try to face the question what does quantum theory teach us about the makeup of reality and the related question why should we care about this Now, I'm very happy to have on my guest Somebody who happens to be extremely credentialed to discuss this topic, his name is Richard Kahn Henry. He's the professor in the Henry A. Rowland Department of Physics and Astronomy of the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. What caught my attention was the professor wrote a extremely succinct article in Nature Magazine entitled, The Mental Universe where I think he clarified a lot of these questions that I've posed at the top of the show. And so, Professor, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, It's great to have you here.
1: I'm delighted to join you, Philip.
0: Well, uh, as I was saying, you know, one of the things you do in your article is you make this observation that, unlike Galileo's finding, Galileo's finding, that the Earth really revolves around the Sun as opposed to the other way around. This thing we know as, as quantum theory has not really permeated the human psyche or the modern psyche. And I'd like to get into that, but first of all, for those who have not studied up on quantum theory recently or quantum mechanics, can you kindly maybe describe what quantum theory is? What is this field?
1: Right. Well, of course, uh, physicists from the very beginning and the notion of atoms and so forth have been uh, attempting to find out what the world is made of. And, of course, there was uh, enormous success with that, uh, with the discovery that atoms aren't just a, a concept. They, they seem to be, at least, uh, actually real. And Albert Einstein was the person who really established that uh, um, uh, with, with so-called Brownian motion. Uh, the explanation of Brownian motion, that those atoms, they weren't just a concept, they seemed to be to be real. And that got deeply in dine Science head, of course, and in fact that's part of the reason that we have the problem that we, we do today. But then in 1925, as people got deeper and deeper into the study of the world using technology and looking at these atoms and looking at spectral lines and so forth and so forth, um, it became clear that the notion that there were actual things there uh, could not be uh, sustained. And there was a long and very emotional fight back and forth. Uh, are these things waves or are these things particles? And as time went by and arrived in 1925 with the discovery of quantum mechanics, we discovered that there are two things we can be certain of. They are not particles and they are not That we know. Well, then the question is, what are they? Well, they are observations. Well, observations of what? Unfortunately, the word observations carries an implication that there must be observations of something. But the observations are not of anything. They are just observations, period. And remarkably enough, that's exactly where we stand today.
0: So so that that is that is a really uh sort of helpful summary of the state of affairs and you have managed to condense what almost 100 years of science uh in, in that in that summary because there there's a lot going on here and one of them is that we almost assume that there is a thing out there and in fact i was going back to uh one of one of my uh, books on my shelf you know and i i do have a lot of these what i would call uh academic slash nerdy books but one of them is called quantum theory and measurement and it's there's an article by uh einstein a very famous article uh, that i'm sure you're aware of where he wrote it with Pavlovsky and rosen and Einstein says or the author says something like any serious consideration of a physical theory must take into account the distinction between the objective reality which is independent of any theory and the physical concepts which with the theory with which the theory operates. And the point of that is that it's as if the scientific mindset which really means our mindset has to envision there being an independent thing out there when quantum theory as you point out shows that that's not true and and so so I guess what it comes down to is why is it that do you think we are so enraptured in this belief that observations have to be of something that there has to be a thing out there well you
1: know I Philip I don't know why. And I can speculate, and I think it is a a sort of sociological reason rather than anything else. Uh, The best I can do is to draw attention to our friend Galileo, uh, who was the person who finally sort of came out and said, the Earth is rotating every 24 hours. The whole Earth is rotating which he everybody regarded as absolutely absurd and impossible. Yeah. And he said on top of that, the earth is actually going around the sun. It looks like, okay, this kind right. of thing. Right. Now believe you me, if you have read his actual book in which he brought this out, The Dialogue, he had to fight like the devil. And in fact, he was scared to come out with it. For many years he believed it but wouldn't tell his students about it emotional stuff. But he finally came out and he sold it and he sold it so that it is now the normal belief of all educated people around the world and isn't controversial. In contrast, Philip, the great scientist of our time, Albert Einstein, instead of coming to the correct conclusion, came to the opposite conclusion. And again, his personality, his weight, still burdens the human race today because he made that bad decision now he he was working indeed in the environment with uh, Podolsky and Rosen but but he didn't write that article he wasn't even an author on it until they simply (laughs) added him as an author (laughs) and he accepted that yeah he were trying to fight against the idea uh, and determine that the idea uh, that the universe has an actual reality well, it
0: doesn't. Yeah, and that that is something I I think you you again hit the nail on the head because this is an area that I've researched as well because I come from it. I started coming from this from the philosophical standpoint because I'm a, I have a philosophy degree, and it's 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 always interesting to me how the philosophers and I and specifically I would I would mean Berkeley, Kant, and Hume as being the three big ones that they that they reached a conclusion very very similar to the findings of quantum theory and so when i was reading about einstein and or this this assumption of of the of the independent world when you read so many modern books the exact same assumption is ingrained in the books and specifically uh, books by lisa randell books by Lee Smolin who I've had on my show and I have a lot of respect for and, um, and Stephen Hawking these guys it, you're exactly right they, they take Einstein here as being the final authority when it, it contradicts the very foundation of quantum theory and so, so I don't I mean <laughs> I can't help but think something's got to give I mean what, what's your view on this that we, we sort of have two things in conflict here Don't we?
1: Yes, I'm so sympathetic uh, to what you say, Philip, because I have gone through precisely the same thing, and I have felt that something's got to give, and I saw that this problem existed. And so I, I'm an astronomer actually, not a physicist at all. I have no degrees in physics. But I have been teaching physics for decades, and I understood this, okay? So I said, well, let me test the waters. And so I wrote my essay. And, sort of laughing to myself, mailed it off to Nature, and to my complete astonishment, it was published. And I got absolutely no blowback of any kind whatsoever from anyone on it, and yet I did not change the world. Now that was my best blow, okay? (laughs) I'm no uh, Galileo, believe you me, and I'm no Einstein and we need one Philip yeah well that this is uh,
0: again uh, I feel like uh, we're, we're sort of saying the same thing from different directions here because this notion of changing the mindset is actually what I'm all about I mean I'm the the book uh, the structure of scientific revolutions, of course which was so um, so influential you know, in the last 50, 60 years, this whole idea about changing paradigms, um, right. that that it's, you know, whether Kuhn was right or wrong about everything, the common sense part of that book has got to be true, which is that eventually the, a scientific paradigm changes, and, you know, I have a book out called The Collapse of Materialism, where I take on materialism head-on, and I take it on from all sorts of different directions, And and I'm I'm waiting for the world to change too, and the question and the question is, how long is it going to take? You mentioned earlier the sociological part of this, and I think that i I'm coming to the conclusion it's it, it is primarily a sociological issue it is It is something where uh, we are distracted by by the the demands of the day, by the media, by our um, PDAs, by TV putting food on the table and the people who are actually giving this thought are not that many and we're working within a quote-unquote paradigm that values the the einstein approach
1: (laughs) i mean i couldn't agree with you more that's the best way i could i could figure it out but right the the other difficulty with it i think is that um okay suppose uh, a physicist does sort of go over the edge, if you want to put it that way, yeah. as, as I have. It does not change in any way what the physicist does in terms of developing more physics. Right. And as far as I can tell, it doesn't help, and it makes you look foolish, so, hey, don't go there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the, there is, you see, there's a practical side to this that I, th- I don't think has really sunk in and this is where I get maybe uh, very radical but I think ultimately I mean I was gonna ask you this at the end of the show but uh, but we're here with you know ultimately (laughs) it seems to me that the purpose of science is to understand the world in order to master it in order to control it and that that to me is most obvious or most evident in medical science where it's clear that all the money spent on on medicine health research is to improve the health of human beings and, and so that is clearly the goal of medical science if we if we lose touch of the fact that that is the goal of science then then calling the world mental or material maybe doesn't make any sense or or make any difference but my point is is that if the world is mental, and I, I believe it is, then that has to have a practical effect, or else it's, or else it just becomes an academic point. so So what do you think? Do you think that that reaching a conclusion that the world is mental has a practical effect on people?
1: Yeah, very good question, Philip. And um, all I can say. Uh, is that it has had a profound effect on me personally, uh, simply because of the fact that uh, I was raised in a uh, southern Ontario uh, mild Protestant family. Uh, We were, quote, Christians, unquote, but uh, we just, it was all just pro forma. And I grew up uh, the young scientist, and I had no religious uh, beliefs whatsoever, and in fact I would, would have... From almost all of my career, I've described myself as a as an atheist. Although I was smart enough to realize that you can't actually positively conclude that. And then uh, at a certain point, when I was about 60, with teaching all of the physics and you know, and going forward and publishing this essay and so forth, uh, it, it dawned on me uh, that this did have uh, profound uh, religious implications. And so I went from being an atheist. To being a theist or yeah. whatever, right. and uh, that's a big uh, a big deal. Although in practical terms it doesn't have any effect, it uh, just makes me uh, uh, happier.
0: Yeah, well, I th- I think that's that's the start of it. And this is a, this is I, I want to uh, drill down into this a little bit more. This is Philip Camilla. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm very happy to be. Um, talking with professor richard Con henry of the john hopkins university the author of all sorts of papers but the one we're focusing on is called the mental universe published in the prestigious scientific magazine nature in 2005 where the professor gives a different perspective and a very clear perspective on what the meaning of quantum theory is now to follow up what you said before about how there, there is a connection, or at least some kind of relationship between finding that the universe is mental and religion or spirituality. You, you have a quote in your article that, that is, is, is a great quote because I've never seen it before. It's, it's from, I guess, a biography of Isaac Newton. And the quote is, the ultimate cause of atheism is this notion of bodies having, as it were, a complete absolute and independent reality in themselves now what do you think is the connection between atheism and this notion of there being an independent reality
1: well I couldn't say it better than uh, the Newton said yeah. it there yeah um, of course the I think the common picture we have is of this universe, 13.6 billion years old, and it evolved, et cetera, et cetera, and there's contillions of planets out there. And on this particular one, because of uh, adequate conditions, uh, uh, we've managed to come along. And then uh, you and I and uh, all of many of those listening to us um, had the incredible good fortune to to be in existence during the period when uh, what was it 12 uh, American men actually managed to land on the moon yeah uh, it is all pretty 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 good stuff um, but it's all sort of uh, bogus ultimately because there isn't any actual universe out there it's all in your mind now what does that mean I really don't know Philip what it means but it seems to be true
0: yeah yeah I mean let me let me try this because I I <laughs> also reached the conclusion and and uh it's always nice when famous people come up with the same thought as you do of course the fact that they did it 400 years ago is sort cert- is sort of humbling but um the 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 notion that the world comes at us that that there's an independent world and it and it arose through random forces and that we are sort of um I think Hawking called this uh, chemical scum on a um on a faceless planet or something like that he actually has a quote like that um, <laughs> that it does lead to atheism I think because it, it, it says well we don't need to have a god or spirit involved in, in, in the world because hey we're just a random creation from an explosion isn't that wonderful and it's sort of <laughs> leaving aside the fact that um, it's a very pessimistic and negative approach or viewpoint it does lead to atheism and I, I on the show a lot I, I talk to people from all all fields of thought from spirituality to the sciences and it's it's just remarkable to me that leading that the leading scientists are really atheists they, they're, they're they're self-proclaimed atheists because that's where materialism leads and yet right. we're sitting here and yet we're sitting here with a with what I consider to be, the best if not the necessary interpretation of quantum mechanics showing that the world is a mental construct and if that's the case to me that leads to exactly the opposite conclusion which precisely is that, which, isn't it amazing right right, right it, it well. does it right right and, and you know I I've done a lot of writing on this myself and thinking and I, I don't understand, and, and I think what it is, and this is, we're off, uh, off my script a little bit here, but I think <laughs> what it is, not that I really had a script by any stretch of imagination here, <laughs> but anyways, uh, what what is, I've come to conclusion that that modern scientists, maybe you could comment on this, that modern scientists have such a knee jerk reaction against creationism, and against b- biblical literalism that anything that even sounds like spirituality they just throw away they just don't even deal with it
1: i I think that's true
0: yeah i mean because because one of the things that has to be asked i mean i i i think i've read a little bit about your your background and do you think i mean have you been criticized for um someone saying oh well uh professor uh Henry has this view because he's, because he's really religious? You know, he's taken, you know that, that your uh, religious background has influenced your interpretation? Has someone criticized you for
1: that? Um, not only has no one criticized me for that, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has publicly criticized me at
0: all! (laughs) And also, I don't have... The
1: religious background I have is trivial. It's not like I came out of it. Whereas, in contrast, uh, um, Eddington, uh, who deeply understood the kinds of things that you and I are talking about right now, Philip, Eddington came out of a Quaker background, and he remained a Quaker all his life, and he really believed it. And so I think, in a sense, it was easier for him to... Understand this nature of the world than it uh, it was uh, for for me from a from a, an atheist background is what it amounted to in yeah. my case. Yeah. But Eddington was 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 so smart. I uh, I don't even think he was that deeply influenced by his own Quaker religion, yeah. despite the fact that he believed it. I'm I'm sort of contradicting myself there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the um, the the tasks I think we have, and this is this is one of my missions, is that it'd be nice to be able to explain religion and spirituality in a new worldview as opposed to cast them off as being only mythical creations of the human mind and, and that's sort of that's an, another big fallback or drawback of the modern scientific materialistic enterprise is that it really it really needs to treat religion and spirituality as being just sort of child's play uh, but you sort of have to ignore a good part of human history uh, to to go there. And it, it always has struck me that the early uh, founders of quantum theory—the Max Plancks, the, Sh- the Schrodinger, um, and uh, even even Einstein himself—they had a spiritual bent to them. They 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 were partially mystics. Look at Newton. I mean, have you? I mean, what do you think of that? Do You think that we've we've moved beyond the the old the the originators or the founders, and that that science is becoming more materialistic, or what do you think is happening here?
1: It's it's very very hard to say. As you say, all of those people do did have that side to them, and Einstein used to talk about the old man meaning God. Yeah. Uh, but it was ultimately clear, I think, that he he didn't mean it the way truly religious people uh, mean it, but, but I, I just don't know. And Newton himself uh, was deeply, deeply religious, and he was a, a Christian, and uh, he was a Unitarian, in fact. He did not believe in the Trinity, and if he had come out with that pub- believe publicly, he would have lost his professorship at, uh, uh, at the university.
0: Yeah, Well, at least it seemed like those guys had had room in their worldview for mystery. And for for the unknown, and that they weren't so quick to rule out a spiritual or ephemeral or whatever you want to call it uh, essence to the world or parts of the world, where most of the leading scientists today, as I said, uh, are are not afraid to do, you know to go all the way. The best example, perhaps, being Lawrence Krauss' uh, book, the, a, "A Universe from Nothing." Where they basically go back to the beginning of time and say it's all a quantum fluctuation, I guess you would say that that might be true, but it's a mental it's a mental quantum fluctuation. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and it
1: doesn't really mean anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really it's really it's really amazing. Well, the other thing, I mean, what do you think about the God particle in the in the Higgs boson? I mean, this.
1: Well, uh, of course, um, the God particle is uh, uh, something that has emerged from this uh, uh, chain, extraordinarily successful chain of experiments, uh, starting with quantum mechanics, but, but then probing deeper and deeper to, so to speak, smaller and smaller particles, higher and higher energy particles, and so forth and so forth, with never the sign of a crack in, in, in quantum mechanics. And, of course, the pursuit of this uh, gives one Nobel Prizes. It also comes out with uh, things of great practical importance. It is a truly wonderful activity. You get somewhere with it, whereas with our philosophical stuff, it really doesn't get you anything of practical value other than, I, in my case, peace of mind.
0: Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, I always think I've always thought it's a bit inconsistent to be searching for the mystery to the universe in a particle when Heisenberg and others concluded that there are no particles. This this right. is this is what I I don't I mean it's it is a really amazing scientific experiment. And perhaps in the new paradigm we would still do that kind of stuff just to see what the world's, you know, how far we can go. But I can't help but think that it really is a function of trying to find missing values in mathematical equations I mean I think that that the God particle to me and I have read a lot about it is really trying to you know they didn't they didn't know where the masses came from and so there's a theory saying well maybe the these particles move through a field and they acquire mass let's do this experiments and see if the math works and and so it's 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 an ama- it's an amazing story but you know professor one of the things that it i can't help but but raise here is is the american public and the and the public at large i mean do you think that science is is talking to the to the Ameri- to, to the people do you think that that science has distanced itself too far from the from the from the common person that there's that the, that the language they're speaking is no longer Uh, understandable
1: I think that that is a very real uh, problem Philip, the the physicists themselves, the the, the very good ones know perfectly well that when they talk about these particles and things like that they're using a sort of slang that you sort of have to use as a terminology but they know perfectly well that there really are no particles, what there are, are these patterns in the observations and the mathematics associated with them suggests oh, there might be another one at this higher energy, yeah. and by golly, you look there in the mathematical pattern, bang, there, large, she blows, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And then when they talk about it, they talk about it in terms of little particles that are out there. They know perfectly well that's not true.
0: Yeah, and it, so that really is the the key here, and what brings it home to me is is modern medicine again. Because what this means is that if the world is mental or a mental construct, and I'm using the word if to be kind because I, I have no doubt that it is mental or a mental construct, that means our bodies are also mental constructs. And Correct. things like the placebo effect, faith healing, uh, all these all these events that occur where you know fake drugs heal, and people do surgery or or have surgical results without surgery really being performed I mean it's showing that the interstates have a power over the external states and and that's to me is is where it's brought home I guess I'm I'm reaching the conclusion myself that this paradigm shift when it occurs it might be driven by Modern medicine first, because that's where it has the impact upon us i mean have you have you given any thought to that have you uh about the about the human part of this
1: uh, not really yeah. um i'm uh, uh not deeply interested in that aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, I think we're we're you know, obviously the medical research. And in fact, uh, I seem to, according to the doctor, have a little bit of beginning Parkinson's. So I'm taking Aldopa hmm. now and it's making a big difference. Hmm. And that's great stuff. Yeah. And uh, obviously, the more and more of that we can do, we can do uh, the better. Uh, but to my mind, that that does not impact the to my mind, that does not deeply impact the, the philosophical or, or religious interpretation.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's 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 good. The at the end of the day, I think that when there is this paradigm shift, it probably is going to come from all sorts of different directions. I mean, it happened. It happened to Galileo, and I I always think back to the Schopenhauer quote. Uh, which I, which I'm sure I'll butcher, but it's something like you know all great truths uh they're they're first ridiculed, then they're yeah. condemned, and then they're accepted as self evident i mean uh, I mean for, for, I don't I mean I think there might be i think there might be another uh phase in there which which is something like uh first they're ignored because <laughs> because because there's a lot of people who are ignoring this. This is Philip Camella, this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm speaking with professor richard Con henry of the john hopkins uh, university in baltimore and we're talking about the mental universe so some people may may ask okay well if the universe is mental then what is it made out of what what's what's your what's your response to that question
1: well i'm afraid my response is that that's just a, a naive idea you feel it has to be made of something because you've acquired this kind of idea through through your experience, and the answer is that uh, needless to say, physicists over the last 150, 200 years or longer have been looking down to try to find out what it's made of, and what they find is that it, so to speak, evaporates when you get down small enough, and there's nothing there.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, then is it an illusion?
1: An an illusion, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that, you know, that's, that's that's where I was saying before about how the fines of quantum theory actually are joined by the belief systems and philosophies of a lot of great traditions I mean we even though I think there's been a lot of books written on this you can't help but recall that in Buddhism and in uh, Hinduism you know uh, the physical world is maya it's it's an illusion and And again, the way we think in in, in the modern world is we tend to put religious beliefs on a different uh, package on the shelf. We tend to separate them. You know, here's science, here's religion. And the beauty of this way of looking at things, of looking at the world as a mental construct to me, brings to us a way to incorporate these spiritual ideas into our mindset and and i guess and and you you mentioned this earlier do you think there's any hope for this professor do you think that this is where things are going uh in other words where the findings of quantum theory will will finally be vali- will will validate uh at least some form of religion
1: um looking of course i am not a historian and don't know much at all about religion in general so i sort of hesitate to <laughs> you know, broadcast my view of all religions, but I will, nevertheless, uh, go ahead and say that uh, from my uh, minor acquaintance with the various religions of the world, the, the one indeed that uh, that does impress me from the point of view of the kind of thing that you and I are talking about now uh, is, is Hinduism, uh, and in Hinduism, if I understand it correctly, the notion that the world is an illusion is part of Hinduism. And I happen to know from physics that it, that it's true. I'm also impressed by the fact that we don't know who founded Hinduism. With almost all the other religions, if not all of them, uh, we can identify a particular individual as an actual founder, not with Hinduism. Uh, I think that Hinduism is on to something, and it was presumably founded by some uh, person who was of the mental uh, character of a a newton or of an einstein and 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 a pythagoras a pythagoras pythagoras we have not mentioned pythagoras said number is all things i'm enormously and he founded a religion the pythagorean religion lived long after him and eventually died out so yes i think there's hope Uh, i'm i'm no pythagoras i'm afraid uh uh, but i'd love to see uh, a pythagoras uh, come along
0: yeah, I mean, and and you put this in your article, and it's it's something that again, I think has connections to modern science. We were just talking about about the Higgs boson. I mean, Pythagoras uh, said that all is number, or number is all things, and of course, as you point out in your article, number is a mental a number is a mental construct, which is which is very similar to me to modern physics. Trying to map out the physical world using mathematical formulas it's actually an extremely sophisticated version of Pythagoras or Pythagorean thinking when you think about it i mean it really is i mean physics is really um, Pythagorean if that's a word very
1: very much so Philip and uh, in, in fact um, uh, uh, Tycho Brahe was the one who who made the marvelous observations that were then used by Kepler to find the orbits of the planets. To his disgust, being being ellipses, and um, and uh, uh, Kepler uh, uh, speculated that he himself might be. A reincarnation of Pythagoras. I thought
0: that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is that is good. Now, there's there's something else here that I haven't talked a lot about on the show because it's sometimes difficult to get your head around. As if this is easy, but there's a there's a concept of non-locality, which uh, you know the Einstein-Rosenberg uh, or Rosen paper um, addressed, and there's there's an element of non-locality or that uh, that comes into play in this same topic in other words whether there really is an independent world or not i take it you've done um uh research uh, in in non-locality correct
1: uh, I haven't done research active okay. in non-locality. I mean, it's part of quantum mechanics. Yeah.
0: But in terms and, of, and it's
1: not a separate topic. Quantum okay. mechanics is quantum mechanics. Uh, right. Stephen Weinberg, uh, fifteen or twenty years ago, published a Physical Review letter in which he said maybe we should uh, investigate the possibility that quantum mechanics is, is non-linear. In other words, trying to change quantum mechanics. And I tell you, I think I was just working on my lectures to teach quantum mechanics, and I read that, and I said, this is complete nonsense. And uh, a year later, uh, his colleague, uh, Joe Polchinski, published a physical review letter saying it was complete nonsense. Hmm. Uh, It's just an astonishing business. Uh, uh, Steven Weinberg is so mathematically able, and yet somehow he he didn't see the, the physics. Why don't you? Can you briefly
0: describe what what non locality is in the context of quantum mechanics for those who may not know?
1: What is Um, it? Well, the particle uh, splits in two, as everybody agrees that some of them can do. And one part goes off in one direction, one part goes off in the other direction, and the particles uh, have spins, which we know they do. And the question is, uh, what are the spins of the two particles? And angular momentum has to be conserved, so one will be spin up, and one will be spin down. The question is, which is which? And uh, uh, it's only when one of the two is measured that the other one is actually determined. Now. Just listening to that description uh, doesn't sound so mysterious, but believe you me, it is is—it is mysterious. And uh, it, the, the universe is, is unified in a sense, even special relativity. Special relativity is nothing but the Pythagorean theorem with a fourth dimension where instead of, well, x squared plus y squared plus z squared plus t squared, no, minus t squared. And that's the world. That's special relativity. i just told you in that one sentence, the entire special relativity. And that gives us a, a mathematical picture of the universe that is drastically different from the one that we seem to, to experience. I can't do better than that, Paul. Uh,
0: what, what What does it mean? I mean, for example, the non-locality, and, and again, there's been a lot written on this because, you know, it, for example, it's faster faster than the speed of light. And, and a lot of people have uh, used non-locality to support the notion of a unified world or of uh, even the paranormal. Um, but one, one of the things, one of the features of non-locality that's always interested me is this very uh, idea that that the world is interconnected. That even at, at the quantum level, that a particle knows what another particle is doing on the opposite sides of the universe. Um, and, and so. But how do you go from there to the independent world idea? And I know that in, in one of your letters, uh, The Real Scandal of Quantum Mechanics, you talk about this, but what is the connection between non-locality and realism?
1: There's no particular uh, connection, and uh, uh, we just come back to the basic fundamental fact that, uh, that there isn't any universe. There are observations, and we're talking properties of observations. And so uh, we do tend, as as you're properly doing, and as many people do, going off into particular aspects of it, and then seeing that they are mysterious. Well, the whole thing is mysterious, yeah. and one piece isn't more mysterious than the others. Uh, uh, and trying to isolate them out and then tease out some additional information from it uh, is, you know, you, if you succeed, then great. But, but I, I don't see it as fruitful. Do you, do you
0: think um, that you are an outlier in ter- in, in interpreting quantum uh, mechanics, or are you just sort of the person that articulated it clearly?
1: It is my belief that I am just the person that atric- articulated it clearly. I do not believe that anything that I think about quantum mechanics is anything that I produced myself. It's just my reaction uh, to to having learned it. That's it.
0: Yeah, we, and that that I think it, that I think is important and because it it shows I mean the fact that your article was published in Published in Nature, as you indicated, Professor, is really a good example of this. And that is, Nature is one of the, if not the most prestigious scientific magazine. And it, it is a voice of modern science. And the fact that they published your article where you conclude, the universe is immaterial, mental, and spiritual, live and enjoy... That they're actually published an article that, to me, is contrary to the very paradigm that they're the voice of.
1: Okay, Philip. Now um, brace yourself for me pulling another illusion away from you. Okay.
0: Okay. Lay okay. um,
1: I'm sitting uh, now in the Physics and Astronomy Building here at Johns Hopkins University, Johns Hopkins University right. in Baltimore, Maryland, right. and just across the street outside my door is the Space Telescope Science Institute. And just a few weeks ago, uh, they had a colloquium by the physics editor of Nature. (laughs) And he was there to encourage people to send, publishing physics in Nature is very hard to do, the standards are extraordinary, all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And uh, at the end of the uh, uh, good talk he gave, he was trying to encourage people to publish in Nature, I put up my hand and I said, well, you know, I published a, an essay, The Mental Universe in Nature. Uh, did that go through the, the physics reviewers? And he said, no, that's a completely separate operation. There are some people there that just review them and decide what they like and publish it. There's no <laughs> peer review. Okay? <laughs>
0: oh, that's good. Well, that's, yep. that's, that's good to know. That's, well, you've got to give them credit. You know <laughs> Yes, you to, I do. Yeah, yeah, you have to give them credit for I mean, it's uh, you know, the article the article is is labeled uh, an essay and that's something that I uh, I was not aware of because the philosophy is, of this is very important and you know that that's one thing that has struck me is is how so many um physicists are becoming philosophers. Uh you know, his books uh dreams of a final theory the steven weinberg book that's mostly philosophy of course he he has a a chapter in that book called against philosophy so he's not a very big fan of it but i but to me what modern physicists are doing what the 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 mainstream is they are really articulating a materialistic philosophy but they're but they don't think it's philosophy because it's so it's so obvious. <laughs> you know, it's so it's like, well, everyone believes in realism, so let's just get over that and let's move on. Um and I think it's that notion that needs to be overturned, that it's that it's not obvious. In fact it's refuted by your very theory. So
1: Yes, um it's it's unfortunate that, uh I didn't read all of Richard Dawkins' book, but uh a lot of these uh, people that uh, sort of come out with uh, forceful atheism, uh, Dawkins, I did believe, r- r- attempted to read about quantum mechanics and, and couldn't get anywhere with it and sort of sort of dismissed it. And they come to firm and vigorous conclusions uh, without really knowing a damn thing.
0: Yeah, well, it, it struck me, and uh, in, in uh, Dawkins, and you know, I read a lot of his books from my own research, uh, his book, The Magic of Reality, it's one of his last books. Um, he he says exactly that. He says he doesn't understand quantum theory, and yeah. I'm thinking, well, maybe that explains everything now, because <laughs> because because if you don't understand what the makeup of the wor- of the world is and the fact that there really isn't anything there, you might wind <laughs> up in atheism. So sure. so to me, I've just I mean, maybe this is a bit simplistic, but I think that that to me. Is a major flaw in the way he is 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 approaching things. Now, this is Philip Camello. You know, this this is Philip Camello. This is conversations beyond science and religion. I'm speaking with uh, Professor Con Henry uh, of of the Johns Hopkins University <laughs> in Baltimore, Maryland. He's a professor of physics there, and we're talking about the mental universe. So, I guess at the end of the day, uh, Professor. We, we we wind up with these two things in conflict that we have that we have um, focused on here. The, the mainstream scientific materialistic realist approach and then what quantum theory tells us. Where do you think we're going to wind up? Do you think that the physics community the scientific community will eventually change to this mental this mind-centered approach
1: I really don't know uh, Philip I would would hope that it could occur uh, but I've seen no no harbingers of it uh, uh, of any kind I I think it's partly the kind of personality that goes into so to speak hard physics and then if uh, like myself they plow through the hard physics and then they sort of see this spiritual side uh, it's it, it's very difficult for them to to put it forward because it you know just sounds like baloney and it doesn't particularly lead anywhere. So psychologically, it's difficult. I don't know what the vast majority of the of the I think the vast majority of the physicists have studied the quantum mechanics. They sort of learned the quantum mechanics, but they have not uh, absorbed its meaning.
0: Yeah, and I—I I mean, there, there's so much here, and I don't know if there is a, a sociological study of this phenomena. There is a, um, a book called I think "Constructing Corks" that gets into the sociological part of science a little bit, and of course Lee Smolin's book, "The Trouble with Physics," gets into it from the string theory standpoint. The, the point of that book being that unless you're a string theorist in today's physics community you're not gonna go very far um at least that's what he argues in that book but there is clearly a sociological part of this and i again my my opinion after looking at this for a long time is is that scientists need to get over the, the the preconception that they can't be rational creatures that they can't be scientific and have a spiritual perspective at the same time. And I think that that is really the bugaboo right now. And I go back to what Max Planck said, uh, I think it was him, uh, who said that, or maybe it was Wigner, one of those two guys, who said that, um, you know, science progresses funeral by funeral, unfortunately. <laughs> and some and sometimes you have to get new blood, a new mindset, um, into, into the picture. So, as we're, at, as we're at the end here, uh, I, I want to say that for those who want the, a succinct summary of quantum mechanics and what it means for defining reality, go online and plug in Rich, uh, Richard Kahn Henry, The Mental Universe, and it's actually available online. I will put a link to the article in my blurb on this show. And it's one page published in Nature, and it really nicely summarizes where uh, a a objective interpretation of quantum theory leads. Now, professor, have you know we've done a lot of talking here. Is there anything else you'd like to add to what to what you've said to what we've talked about for the listener?
1: No I think under the guidance of your questioning Philip we've actually covered the waterfront pretty nicely and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation
0: yeah it was it was uh it was very enjoyable and again i I do this to to show that that um, that folks with credentials with with degrees with with the education this is where this is where things are heading and I think that what we haven't come to terms with yet is what it what it really means to call the world mental or, or, or hmm. a mental construct. We haven't quite got our hands around the practical side of this, but I am optimistic that this is where things are heading. I'm not sure how many years, decades, generations, centuries, or whatever it's going to take, but it's encouraging that people like Professor uh, Henry have come to this conclusion and are not afraid to articulate it. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.